Peace, what's going down? It's DJ Payne One on the line with a man who needs no introduction, but I'll give him a quick one anyway. We got Cato on the track, and I'm definitely excited <laughs> to link with him at South by Southwest. How are you feeling, sir? I'm feeling great, man. I'm excited for South by. By the way, that's gonna be that's gonna be fucking dope. Yeah, I've never I've never held a, a collaborative session before, but I've wanted to for years. Abe just calls me up and says, "Hey, you want to do these collab workshops for BeatStars? It's gonna be you, Cash Money, AP, and Ken." I'm like, hell yeah, I want to do that. That's crazy, of course. Yeah, it's gonna be amazing. So speaking of other craziness that BeatStars has us do, one week notice. It's it's one of the most uniquely created hip hop albums I think ever, and that's out. It's been out all month. It features DZ Wright, Jaron Benton, Audio Push, Demrick, Emilio Rojas, Reezy, DJ Hoppa, and of course, Kato. When BeatStars and Dame Ritter came up with the idea of creating an entire album in one week, what was your initial reaction to that? I've done projects like that before in actually a shorter period of time. Like I've done, you know, collaborative projects where me and a couple other producers organize like this thing during A3C and we just bring through a bunch of artists to come record on our tracks and we do an entire project in like three days. So, but it was, it was really exciting to me to, to get to work with this particular group of people. I was on board right away. Like I didn't need any time to think about it. Dame just hit me up and he was like, yo, I'm, I'm working on this project. Are you interested in being a part of it? And I just right away said, hell yeah, I'm signing me up. It was literally just a bunch of dudes going to Austin and finishing a full album in seven days. Pretty much. That was the whole concept of it. Uh, Ten artists and producers, you know, rent an Airbnb, record out of the Star studio and see how much music we could come up with. And I don't think anyone really had any expectations going into the project, which which was cool. I think that was a good thing because we all just came in ready to work. You know, like that's all we wanted to do is we wanted to work, make the best music that we can make. I imagine even today, a lot of people don't fully understand the role of a producer. It's not always just to make beats. And I know you did produce beats on the project, but what were some of the different roles you played in the creation of One Week Notice? I was there for every step of the process. Like I was in the studio with Jaron and Emilio. And that first night, it was all of us. Like we were all crammed into the Beat Stars studio and we knocked out like two or three songs that first night. But I was there for every step of the process. Like I, I made a beat from scratch in the studio. Get It and Go was made in the, was made in the studio from scratch. Like I didn't have that beat already pre-made. Um, I just thought it would be a cool vibe to like start recording something off of. And, you know, I was there for every step of the way from making the songs to the actual mixing process and coordinating with our mix engineer Tantu. Shout out to Tantu. He was the engineer that mixed uh, and tracked everything for the project. And I was there for all of that and just giving him feedback and telling him like, you know, certain things to tweak or change. And, you know, so I was there for the whole thing. So you, you technically produce songs that you didn't make the beat for then? Somewhat. So like DJ Hoppe was uh, also, he produced about half of the project, too. Um, and we found a nice little groove with like half of us going to the BeatStar studio and recording songs there while the other group would stay at the Airbnb and they had a little mobile setup that they would just set up at the crib. And Hoppo was usually with that group. So um, we had like two separate groups going on at the same time, just pumping out all this music. And then we'd kind of convene at night at the crib 
and just share what we got and we just kind of fill in the gaps from there. You know, the fans love it. I think for a lot of them, it's the first time that they've heard Jaren and Dizzy on, on the same song since the funk volume breakup. So I think that was really exciting. So shifting gears and talking more about you, you started your production career the same way a lot of producers do. You know, you made beats for a while and then got a little more serious in college and then yeah. finally decided to go all in. And I've read a lot of, of bios and, you know, I read your wiki, but I didn't really get a clear idea of how you made that leap from, you know, working on the showcase circuit to signing the Funk Volume. I'm trying to remember myself. I wasn't even really conscious of what I was doing back then. I think I was just trying to figure out where I fit in in the whole just music scene in general. And for me back then, it was just fun. Like I was doing it because I, I was having fun doing it. And I was working with my friends and we were making music together and putting out music videos and doing shows. And I didn't really have any expectation of where it was all going. So the whole funk volume situation, like that just came out of nowhere. Like one of Hobson's fans had posted Jaren's music video on Hobson's Facebook page and he saw it and he checked it out. And that same week they flew him out to, I think it was Arizona and he was signed to Funk Volume. And then after that, like I, I continued working with Jaren, obviously. And then eventually Dame reached out to me and, and offered me a production deal. So then, you know, I joined the label as well. And it was just history from there you had a production deal with with funk volume what kinds of responsibilities and restrictions if any did that label situation have for you there weren't really any restrictions i mean i was still free to do whatever i wanted for me the bigger opportunity was just being able to learn from that situation, learn how an indie label operates and learn how they make money. How do they interact with their fans and how do they operate on a day to day as a business? That was the most exciting prospect to me. And just being able to be a part of a team that is dope, a, a team of talented artists and, and other producers and I was just excited about being a part of that. I think that was the biggest lesson that I learned is like how how a business like that operates. And I learned a lot of that stuff. And after Funk Volume fell apart, I applied it to my own career. I think that helped me a lot. Let's be honest, we're in similar situations. We've produced some big records, but we've never produced a hit record yeah you know what i mean we've never gotten the, the big publishing deal but we're still here and i know you interviewed me last year uh, for beat club and we, we spoke about branding we spoke about sustaining ourselves you know in, in the music business without being metro booming or, or timberland yeah. um and we're you know we're both making a living off of our respective brands but a, a lot of producers would be discouraged by not getting those big hits you know they're not focused on on sustainability because you know what we see are the metro boomers we don't see the kato's we don't we don't necessarily see the dj pain ones being showcased as much in your experience with, with with funk volume what was one thing that you took away from that situation and really ran with as far as building your own brand that that helped you survive for this long and, and sustain yourself just off of music good question Funk Volume really opened my eyes, man, to to a totally different world of how to do this music shit independently, you know? Before that point, I don't think I really knew or even understood how how a record label even worked on an indie label or a major label. I still, I'll, I'll never forget that first night 
you know, after Jaron signed and they were trying to arrange like a live stream with all the Funk Volume fans for Jaron to introduce himself and kind of talk to the fans. And I remember we were sitting there and we had the laptop open and we were in the live stream and the questions from the fans were scrolling so fast that you couldn't even read them. So, you know, that kind of opened my eyes to like, holy shit, like, this is actually real. You can do this shit independently and make a great living. I, I took that same kind of concept, that mentality of being able to to really just own your lane, even if you're not on a major, like, even if you're not working with these huge major artists, like, you can still make a great, great living and do what you love to do independently. You know, and you don't have to sign to a major. You don't have to sign a major pub deal. Like you can do it all on your own. What does a typical day in the life of Cato look like, just in terms of grinding and the type of schedule that you impose onto yourself to make sure that you're doing what you got to do to sustain yourself? You know, I wake up usually around like nine in the morning, take a shower, take a shit, you know, eat breakfast, and then I kind of start cracking away at like the emails and checking my social media, following up with people. And then kind of towards the later day slash afternoon, that's when I'll start like working on music and, and, you know, working on records that I have in the pipeline and stuff like that. And I'll, you know, if I need to, or if I feel inspired to, I'll start making beats, you know? So I own a, I, I have a couple different like businesses in my, in my wheelhouse that, that keeps me pretty busy from beat club, to my B store, to working on all these different projects with these artists. Any given day, I, I have a lot of stuff on my plate that I can work on. What keeps you going every single day? Because I mean, it's it's people think this is not a job just because it's fun and we're making music, and, and you know, I deal with that a lot. Just people misunderstandings when they're looking in from the outside. What yeah. what what keeps your nose to the grind as far as doing stuff? You know, checking email, that's not cool. That's not sexy. Making yeah. music, making beats, playing shows, touring, that that's the part that's glamorous. So yeah. I, you, we got to deal with all this other stuff, you know, Facebook ads and right. SEO and stuff. How do you, how do you how do you keep that part exciting or at least how do you make sure that you get it done every day? I mean, you know, there's definitely unglamorous parts to what we do on a daily basis, but for me it's just like I I continuously set new goals for myself and there's constantly stuff that I want to work towards to kind of elevate my career and no one's going to get that job done better than me. You know, I've never relied on anyone in my entire like 10 plus years of being in the music industry. I've never relied on anyone else to do anything for me. For me, it's habitual. Like I, I wake up in the morning knowing that if I don't get these things done, then it's not going to get done. And my career is going to go to shit if I don't get these things done. So at the end of the day, I'm just I'm just self-driven. I'm self-motivated. And I think that's the definition of a good entrepreneur. So to pick up on something you said earlier about all of your work with with um, individual artists, obviously you work with Jaron Ben really yeah. closely. And a lot of producers and rappers are interested in these types of, I guess, what I would consider 50-50 situations where a producer and a vocalist tend to work exclusively together on you know one or more projects and i do that i love doing it but i know when i started out doing that i made a lot of mistakes and got myself into a lot of unequal partnerships based on your experience what makes a 50 50 situation like that work for both the producer and the vocalist i think there has to be a mutual interest in between both parties to to want to do something like that 
obviously for me and Jaron, we've been working together for so long, but we've never given the fans an exclusively Cato Jaron EP. So we just felt like it was time. And aside from that, we're homies. Like we're just friends. I, I believe in just making music with your friends and people that you like, you know? So I never want to force a situation where I'm working on a project or or music with an artist that I don't really fuck with. I always want to do stuff like with my homies. So I think it comes down to that, man. Like just work with people that you like, work with people that you believe in and vice versa. Make sure that they believe in you and they like you. And I think everything after that can be can be figured out. There are, there are so many income streams out there for producers and a lot of us don't take advantage of them simply just because we don't know they exist or we don't know how. What are some income streams that you've recently learned about that you've started taking advantage of? The biggest revenue stream that has also been a challenge but a real learning experience for me was starting Beat Club because for me it's something I'm passionate about as a producer, just helping to educate and elevate other producers and help them understand mostly the the business and entrepreneurial side of what we do, um, but also turning that into a sustainable business. So I actually, we're in the process of merging with Music Entrepreneur Club. I started Beat Club over a year ago and I, I've learned a lot from my mistakes of running that but it's a monthly subscription model. So, and I've never done that before. Like I didn't know the first thing about how to run a, a subscription model, but I learned things along the way. And now we're at the point where we're merging with Music Entrepreneur Club and really trying to scale and, and broaden, our, um, broaden our audience. Uh, so I think that has been a really fulfilling journey for me, just learning how to operate that on the business side and just I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> I learned. So so any producers interested or actually any artists now since you're merging with um with MEC, which is Dame Ritter's uh, online subscription service, how, how do vocalists, recording artists, producers sign up and get more information about Music Entrepreneur Club and Beat Club? Just go to musicentrepreneurclub.com. MEC kind of took us under their umbrella. So if you go to their website, we're still in the process of merging the two groups. So we're try trying to figure out a different platform that works for both of us. So the website's kind of a mess right now. It's not, uh, it still has like the plans up there, but hopefully by the time this video comes out, we'll have all of our shit together. Um, but just go to musicentrepreneurclub.com and you can sign up either... If you're an artist, we have plans available just for artists. If you're a producer, um, we have Beat Club under that umbrella too. And you can sign up for the Beat Club plan. Uh, and you can even do both if you want to. So back to you, you've been, you've been creating a lot of content, uh, exclusive content, and posting it on social media. So I've, I've seen you do some remixes. I've seen you do some, um, some behind the beat kind of videos where you're breaking down some of your more popular songs. Obviously you have to put on the video editor's hat when you sit down and do that. But one of the videos, and I think it was the breakdown for the, the lead single off of One Week Notice, yeah. oh. you have this, this super dope beat breakdown video that, that's really well produced you know, in terms of the video and the audio, of course. It seemed that you partnered with Propeller Heads on that because you used Reason and you used Reason to, to create that beat. Is that yeah. a formal partnership? Yeah, so... 
I've been using Reason for a, a super long time, and I've always wanted to partner with them on some sort of content. I just never had a direct relationship to uh, Propellerhead. Just through the years, I've developed so many relationships, and I, I finally linked up with a producer named Justin Williams, who Reason does like a lot of sponsored videos with, and he's a Reason user. And so I linked up with Justin, and I brought him on Beat Club to do an interview with him, and you know, share some more knowledge and, and experience with the Beat Club members. Uh, and so Justin really made that connect, and he linked me up with Propellerhead, and from there it was just us figuring out some cool content to shoot together and we got some more on the way so yeah it was just through knowing the right people bro you know how that shit goes like it's just all about networking to close out i, I saw a video that you posted where you're just basically telling uh viewers about your journey into music and you had a, a moment of panic where i think you had just gotten evicted from your apartment yeah you didn't know what you were gonna do somehow you just hustled your way into creating now all of these new revenue streams for yourself and you did it fast because you knew you would just kind of you know i don't know yeah. live like a like an indigent for the rest <laughs> of your life if you didn't figure it out yeah. there are a lot of producers out there who want to be full-time producers but they're just scared to death to quit their job and and leave a comfortable situation to journey into this uncharted territory which being a, a professional producer what what advice can you give them if they're considering making that leap man you know what? I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for the fact that I failed so many times in my career and took a lot of chances, you know, took a lot of risks. So for any upcoming producer or artist that that is wanting to have a career in the music industry, like the shit is not easy and you have to be willing to, to learn from your mistakes. So my biggest advice would be go out and fuck up, like go out and make mistakes, go out and take risks, especially when you're young, bro. Like when you're in your early 20s or even mid 20s, like that's the age where you should be willing to put it all on the line like take some fucking risks and and if you fuck up like it's not the end of the world if anything you're gonna learn a lot from those mistakes and it's gonna make you a better entrepreneur it's gonna make you a better producer it's gonna motivate you more to to want to be successful and to want to keep pushing forward you know so whenever I meet an aspiring producer and he tells me that he's too scared to like put out his music or he's afraid that it's not good enough, that should be like the easiest risk that you're willing to take, just putting your music out there. For me, part of my story was I, I struggled for many, many years before I got to this point just trying to figure it all out. I've lived in like some of the shittiest places in Atlanta. I've been evicted from my place. Like I got kicked out of my place. I've had to live in my girlfriend's like living room with boxes stacked up to the ceiling, you know? And that's when I, that's when I had that revelation that you were talking about. And in that month, like when my back was really against the wall, my experience allowed me to know what to do from there. And I made 10, 10 racks like in that month, like living out of my girlfriend's living room. I made 10 G's and got myself out of that situation. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't have the knowledge or experience from, from taking these risks and fucking up, you know? That's my advice to any up and comer, man. You have to be willing to put it all on the line. And 
at some point, make calculated risks. You don't have to make stupid decisions and make dumb mistakes, but take calculated risks and, and don't be afraid to fuck up. So I would always ask uh, producers that I've interviewed if they had a damn that hurt moment. You kind of set me up perfectly for that segue. What is a big mistake that you've made that you learned a lot from? I don't know if there was one specific incident, but I would say there there were a lot of times probably where I didn't kind of cultivate the relationships that I've created over the years. That's one thing that I look back and I'm like, damn, well, if I would have just kind of got in with this one artist a little bit more, then I know I would have a billboard hit by now, or I know I would have a Grammy by now. You can't overlook anyone in this game because you never know who you meet. Someone you meet today could end up becoming the biggest or hottest artist or producer five years from now, you know? And there's no way to know. Like everyone, when you're at that level, just like coming up, everyone's kind of the same to you. Like everyone is just, everyone's just on their grind, like trying to hustle, trying to make it. So you don't know who that person's gonna be five years from now, but always treat people with like respect and just be good to people, you know? I don't know if you if you feel comfortable saying a name. I'll say a name because it happened to me. It was it was with um Little B and I and I told Little B's producer and DJ keyboard kid that um that I had a chance to create a lot of albums with him. He he asked me to and I was just freaked out by his process because it was so non traditional. Not not just the way he rapped and, and recorded, but the frequency at which he was just dropping projects. And that freaked me out. And that was a major mistake on my part. So yeah, I'm opening there, the floor for you here. <laughs> there have definitely been a couple artists that have come into my life, especially early on in my career, man. I mean, I'm in Atlanta. You know, I'm in like a hub for hip hop and rap. And so I've met a lot of artists throughout the years. I've come across a lot of artists who have gone on to do some really, really big things. I'd probably look like a fucking idiot if I just sat here and name dropped like all all the people that I've come across and that I haven't like fully taken advantage of. I think it's it's all right. You know, I'm I'm okay with it because at the end of the day, like I'm still sitting here doing what I love to do. And as long as I get to make music, man, like I'm happy. I don't necessarily need to be that guy like at the at the top of the charts or there are other there are other ways and avenues for me to pursue what I love to do and I do it on my own terms, you know? So how do how do people reach you, man? How do how do they get at you on social media for beats for, for more information about Beat Club, etc.? At Cato Producer is my Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud handle. And if you want beats, you can go to nastytracks.com, N-A-S-T-Y-T-R-A-X.com. And for Beat Club, musicentrepreneurclub.com. Appreciate you, man. Much continued success to you. And I, uh, I, I know that the viewers appreciate you sharing your, your story and, and your successes and failures with them. Appreciate you, bro. Thank you for, this was long overdue. So thank you for, uh, for having me, man.